Welcome on in to Be The One with Aaron and Vonnie. I'm Aaron. And I'm Vonnie. And today we have a very special guest who's all the way out in California. He is in California and he his name is Brandon Staglin. And I'm so excited to talk to Brandon today. He comes from an organization that his parents and him have founded called One Mind. And the last name may sound familiar to some of you because it's actually from the Staglin wine family, so Staglin, Staglin Winery, um, which I'm excited to talk to him about because they have been, you know, in the midst of a lot of smoke and damage from all the fires that were out there. And one note about today's conversation, we are talking by phone, speakerphone, so um, forgive us, you know, if the quality is a little rough at times, but we're super excited to speak with him, and here we go. to welcome Brandon Staglin to our conversation today. We are so excited to have Brandon to hear more about his own journey along with One Mind in this amazing organization that I have been so impressed with and feel very privileged to have been a small part of it. So so welcome, Brandon. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. Really excited to, to talk about One Mind and to share what I can about my experience as well. So, Brandon, you have your own story, just a story that once it's heard has been very impactful and encouraging and inspiring to others. Can you share with our podcast listeners a little bit about your journey? Certainly. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So I was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1990 after a stressful freshman year in college when I was 18 years old. And the months that followed were extremely challenging for me and my family. I was experiencing terrifying hallucinations and delusions. I was convinced that I'd go to hell at any moment if I made a slight mistake like eating too much food at a meal or stepping on a crack. And the constant hypervigilance that I experienced due to these moment-to-moment terrifying thoughts caused me a lot of depression and anxiety and exhaustion over the few months between my first episode and when I started to recover. But during that time, it was very hard for me to want to go on. And there were some factors that contributed to me starting to get well again. And those factors include the loving support of my family and good quality medical care delivered early in after my onset of symptoms and then continued involvement in my community through volunteering and uh, taking classes at the local university. So this continued work to recover um, has taught me values uh, that I use today in leading one mind. When my family was so supportive of me during the most depressing and dark times of my schizophrenia first episode, uh, there was a time when I uh, wandered into the kitchen of my parents' home where I was living at the time, and my dad was there eating breakfast, and and he saw how depressed I was, and he said, there's a lot of love coming from here, Brandon. And that gave me the will to continue to pursue, keep pursuing my recovery, and also taught me that love gives an incredible power to give meaning to life. So that is a value that I continue to practice to this day. Another value that I practice to this day is 
belief that science can make a difference for people and open new doors and horizons. So one factor in my second episode, when I was recovering from my second episode of schizophrenia in my recovery, was um, the use of a new clinically uh, new clinical trial-based treatment uh, for the cognitive symptoms of schizophrenia. And it was called brain training, basically. It involved using a computer to do brain training exercises to enhance the neural pathways in my brain so I could be more effective at understanding what's being said to me and remembering and participating in conversation. So within about six months of doing that clinical trial of brain training, I was able to return to work again and spending time among friends again. It was just amazing turning point. So that in that instance, science did me a favor and I, I promised that I would return it someday. So today I still am extremely fascinated with science in particular brain science and supported with everything that I can. The third factor is continued community involvement. And then that was, and continues to be some, a value that I, uh, espouse and promote, um, as part of one of our major initiatives at one mind, uh, called Aspire in which we work to help young people who are at risk for serious mental illness to recover to strong and meaningful lives again. And then part of that, that part of that treatment that they get is not only the, the first two factors of quality medical care delivered early and to support their family, but also staying involved with the community through supported education and employment practices. Uh, so um, that's kind of an overview of, of my experience and how that translates into my work today. Wow. I mean, really, wow. I mean, your, your story, Brandon, is, is so inspiring, yet so educational, and what you and your family have done to bring brain health to the surface and to the forefront is, is truly amazing, and it really started because of your journey with your first episode of, of schizophrenia. And um, one thing that I really, really love is that love heals you know it basically is what one of the things that ties our organization together is that truly when we do things out of love and understanding we get so many such different results than with judgment and angst and your family in the community that you surrounded yourself with seem to give you that and i think it's just amazing that as the organization one mind how you're bringing the science to to brain health and let's talk about that so one mind you are the president of one mind where are you located and what does it do yeah so what i'm president of one mind and uh, i've been president since 2018 so for a little over two years and my family founded one mind in 1995 out of our shared experience with my schizophrenia diagnosis and beginning of my recovery and out of the knowledge that that serious mental illnesses affect many, many people, millions and tens of millions of people around the United States and, and close to a billion uh, in, in the world, and out of a recognition of the need for research to improve treatments for, for serious mental illnesses. And since that time, when it was founded in 1995 by my mom and dad, we've gone on to to develop into an internationally influential organization over the last 25 years to accelerate brain health for all. So one line's mission today is to accelerate collaborative research and advocacy to enable all individuals facing brain health challenges 
recover to meaningful and productive lives. And we are based in Rutherford, California, where we were founded, which is in the Napa Valley in California. We actually co-located on my family's vineyard where we got started with our very first music festival for brain health, which is our still our today our main fundraising annual event. We'd had a successful music festival this year virtually due to the pandemic. Very, very pleased to see the results of that and how, how people were moved and, and inspired by the event. But in terms of what we do today uh, as to, for our programs, we have a three-pronged strategy to tackle the brain health crisis in the world. And we believe it takes a multi-pronged strategy because there's no magic bullet to, to cure mental illness and there's no magic bullet for recovery. Uh, it takes a wide variety of, of approaches working together collaboratively to heal. We accelerate brain health research and advocacy through a three-pronged strategy of influencing science, services, and society. So on the science side, we accelerate discoveries by bringing scientists together in collaborative large-scale projects across the United States and beyond to share their ideas and data with each other as they do their research so that they can accelerate the, the development of new treatments for people who are struggling. The second stage, services, we bring those discoveries to bear in care programs around California and beyond throughout the United States by networking care programs with universities that are doing the research so that they can share collectively all their ideas and their data and their outcomes with each other and then improve the quality of care all throughout the networks while at the same time disseminating and testing some of those new discoveries that are being made. And then finally, the society portion, which feeds on the first two, involves helping our public, helping the public understand the need, the need for acceptance and empowerment of people with neurodiverse conditions and the need for more support for research to help people who are indeed struggling with mental health to develop better treatments so that they can recover to full and fulfilling lives. So that's our three-pronged strategy. And we've had a great impact in all three of those areas. So for example, we've enrolled over 10,000 patients in clinical studies in which they're also receiving care. We've, we've for a one-lined at work division which is helping to change the culture of workplace mental health throughout our society toward acceptance for people with different mental health conditions. We've enrolled companies such as Walmart and Bank of America and Oscar Pharmaceutical, MasterCard, many others, totaling over seven, close to seven million employees covered by the one mind at work principles. And we've raised for brain health research and services programs over $480 million uh, and raised and leveraged over $480 million uh, to apply to these programs to help people in their recoveries. That is such amazing numbers. That's amazing. And, you know, you're, you have quite an impressive board of directors. You have a Kennedy on board. You have numerous doctors and scientists from Yale, Cornell, Stanford. And I think that that just validates the work that you're, you're doing with the amount of credible people that you're surrounding yourself with or they're surrounding you with. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, I'm very, very grateful for the support we've been able to rally over the last 25 years. And I think people understand that this is deeply meaningful to us and how meaningful it is for, for them as well. Cause brain health and mental health is something that we all experience. Every single family in our, our world has either a member or know someone closely 
who's struggling with some form of mental health challenge, be it depression or anxiety or something more serious like like psychosis. So it deep touches every single life. And it's our privilege, deeply meaningful to us, to help improve our societies and the way it treats and cares for people with mental health challenges. And when I look at it and I listen to you and, you know, you just really validate the power of sharing your story because if you and your family didn't decide to share your story and get you the help that you need. I mean, this is amazing when you look at the light at the end of the tunnel or the bittersweet that you had to go, what you had to go through to get to this amazing place of today and all of the help that you're giving and doing for so many. That's got to feel very empowering. It does. It really does. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a moment, but I just want to thank you as well, Bonnie, for sharing your story. I've been listening to your audio book and it's incredibly meaningful and, and moving to hear how you describe your family's experience with um, the death of your husband and what followed and the, the work you've done to help people through sharing your story. And I really appreciate that. So, so thank you for the work you do. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate those supportive words. Absolutely. So, but I wanted to also say that there are many years in which I didn't want to share my story. And I was kind of ashamed uh, that I had this illness and, and was kind of sidelined for many years from my life from spending time with friends and advancing in my professional life as well and kind of doing nothing about you, you know, uh, for, for several years, except to, except to start to recover, uh, which in a sense is, is very valuable now um, in retrospect. Uh, but the time came when I realized that the more I hid my experience, the harder it was to go on and the heavier the burden was. And there's a great saying by the author Neil Gaiman, pain shared is not a pain doubled, it's a pain halved. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's very true. I mean, I, I found that when I started to share my story more openly, it really lifted my spirits. And I believe those of people around me, because they, they saw they too could share their story with me, and then maybe begin to share the story more openly as well. Would you like to hear the story about how I first shared my story publicly? Would yes, love to. please. Yeah, okay, happy to tell you. So, uh, so my family has a winery in the Napa Valley, as I mentioned before. And uh, there was a film director who in the late 1990s came to make a film about the wine industry. And he asked to interview my family. So we agreed to talk with them. And so we came to my family's vineyard. And this is when I was still fairly symptomatic with starting to get better, but living with my mom and dad. And they interviewed my mom and my dad and me and my sister and had lunch with us. After my parents explained in depth why they had founded this organization to help mental health conditions around the country and beyond through research, eventually the director asked, well, why do you do this? Why is mental health so important to you? And I thought for a second here, okay, I've hid my story for so long. I'm tired of hiding. I want to be open about this. Maybe it'll help others. After a moment passed, I said, you know what? I'm going to volunteer I have schizophrenia, and we founded this organization, my parents did, because of my condition and what they've learned about it and how research is so important to help other people who experience this. And and the director was like, whoa, thank you for sharing that. Can you tell me more? So I explained more about how I started to recover, the treatments that had helped me, and the journey that I had up until that point. And he said, wow, thanks for sharing. Um, Do you want me to keep this out of the movie? Because he was concerned about my 
the stigma that exists in society and the discrimination that there is, and, and rightly so, there is still a lot of that. But we're working to change that. I thought about that for a second and thought, well, yeah, go ahead, you can put it in the movie. So that that was a turning point within my mind about sharing about openly in a, what could have been a public setting uh, about my condition, and that enabled me after that to to share openly because I had passed that like crossed that Rubicon in my mind, being able to share openly. And that lifted a big weight for me. Incidentally, um, he didn't put anything about my condition in the movie, but <laughs> but it did make a big turning point in my own in my own mind and heart. It almost, you know, the saying is true: the su- the truth will set you free. Is that how you felt? Yes, yes, it did. I, I felt proud that I had talked to him about my condition and and continue to be to feel that way. And uh, it just doesn't it doesn't just set me free. I think it sets other others free too. They, I, as I said, they are, they feel. Like they can share about their own challenges in themselves or their family uh, when they hear about my story. It's like the moment you you let that story out the first time, this giant weight is just removed from your shoulders and you're just like, oh, you don't realize how much you've been holding on to it and how much you've been holding in and and to be able to just kind of let that go. It's like a a little release valve. Yeah, it it definitely is. And it, it, it builds on itself over time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then being in a yeah, then being in a place where you're with those that accept you and love you for who you are. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's tremendous. Um I'm very lucky to have my family loving support, including my wife now. I've been married for twelve years. It gets better every year. <laughs> and we have a wonderful uh rabbit and a dog who, who we love dearly and who give us a lot of love in return. Have a wonderful niece and nephew now as well through my sister and her family is great too and we enjoy spending time with them and i hope everybody has the opportunity to spend time with their families perhaps at least their immediate families during the pandemic but um yeah it's when i was recovering and developing more social skills i leaned heavily on my family for social interaction and i found that to be a deeply deeply valuable for me to feel like i belonged and also to learn to care for other people, like my grandmother when she was getting older, who was such a supporter for me in my recovery. When she was getting older, I, I gave her a lot of attention, love, and support. Took her to dinner every week and so forth. And, and that taught me the value of, of caring for others at the same time. Well, you can't see us, but we're all smiling. We're all like listening to you, just like <laughs> smiling and just our, our hearts are warm listening to, to your story. But I'm going to change tracks here a minute. And I think that it's important um, because it's important to one mind to talk about mm-hmm. your the conversation of the use of words brain health versus mental health. Yeah. So we, we emphasize the term brain health, prioritize that over mental health. Uh, in terms of terminology, because it helps to reduce the stigma. Uh, I think people, when they understand that mental illnesses are based in the brain and that by addressing those issues in the brain, either through medication or through neuroplasticity-based treatments like the brain training that I did, or through even psychotherapy, which which affects the brain as well, then you really can help people in by addressing the root causes of in themselves and what they've experienced and, and what are causing the symptoms that they, they have. By understanding that it's a brain illness, it takes away the, the thought that it's a problem with somebody's moral fiber that, that caused them to develop a mental illness. That has nothing to do with it. It's a combination of genetic factors with 
factors in their environment um, that have influenced their ability to process the world. Uh, and I found that true for myself. And many therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, work to help people kind of to reframe how they process their experiences so that they can feel more empowered to deal with them and deal with them better. These treatments affect the brain while they affect people's experience of the world at the same time. So that's why we say brain health. Well, thank you for that explanation. And it's one thing that we're actually working here at I Understand on too is is changing to brain illness versus mental illness. But the question that arises often is what is the difference between brain illness and brain trauma? And the if you can explain that in your opinion. Sure. Yeah. So we, we also work on on the mental health challenges that arise due to brain trauma in addition to brain illness. Brain trauma is a more like due to a physical impact, so like a traumatic brain injury. For example, a concussion is, is an example of a traumatic brain injury. Brain trauma creates all sorts of mental health challenges from depression to anxiety to difficulty, managing one's emotions to challenges in cognition, remembering what's being said, paying attention. Some of the mechanisms that take place in the brain after a brain trauma are very useful to study, to understand a wide range of, of how mental illnesses develop. There's also the aspect of neurodegenerative diseases that take place after a brain trauma, like a higher risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease after a brain trauma. So although we don't focus on that, we have some research in that area as well. So brain illnesses would develop more from genetic factors as someone's brain normally develops and then brain trauma would be more from like an impact uh, to the head. Yeah, it's very, it's very similar. Uh, I kind of just put it together in my head here because we were discussing the idea of like brain health, brain illness, and, and, and trauma. And, you know, you break your arm, that's a trauma. Nobody says, oh, you know, it's an illness. But you can get a lot of different illnesses from the fracture and infection, anything like that. So at least for me, I think it kind of helps to, to look and be like, oh, yeah, that, that makes complete sense. And so when I first heard brain health, um, I know we talked about it last week with uh, Doug Meyer a little bit, but it just makes sense because mental health, completely agree with you, Brandon. There is still, just the word itself is is stigmatized. If you think back, you know, back to maybe when I was younger or whatnot, people are like, oh, you're so mental, you know. So the word in and of itself, it's still, I think for some people, allows you to kind of say, well, it's a, almost like a mystical force. When you say brain, you're like, I'm talking about literally the giant gray organ in my skull it is where the issues are at. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an illness. It, it, it's based in physical phenomena, even though there may be environmental factors that, that pr- provoke those phenomena within you. And so I think recognizing that it's something similar in a sense to, say, heart disease or diabetes, as it, it's a disease it develops can really help people to to frame it in such a way that they don't feel ashamed or attribute shame to other people or, or discrimination against other people unfortunately our connection with brandon was lost at this point we did get him back on the phone and continue the interview brandon one word that you used that i really enjoyed was neurodiverse uh, it's something that i i've read a few times but it's still i don't know how big in the the lexicon of brain health it is yet, but what does neurodiverse mean to you and why is it important to use a word like that? Yeah, neurodiversity is 
simply the wide range of brain health and characteristics of the brain that people have within them throughout our world. It's been shown that people with different brain health conditions have strengths that out that on average outstrip those of people who are, so to speak, neurotypical. That is to say, you might say, quote unquote, healthy, but don't have a, a recognized mental illness. There's some evidence in, in many stories about people with, say, bipolar disorder who have extraordinary creative abilities, such as Vincent van Gogh or people like that. Uh, K. Redfield Jameson, the scientist at Johns Hopkins University who also lives with bipolar disorder, wrote a book about that and all the examples of that called Touch, Touch with Fire. The activist and artist who loses bipolar disorder, Paul Dalio, created a great movie called Touch with Fire based on K. Redfield Jameson's ideas. So that's one example. Also, people with autism frequently have great ability to focus on things very deeply and able to think in ways that help things like programming for computers and software design. There's actually a, um, an organization called Otacon that help that assist people with autism to, to join organizations and, and work in them. People on the autism spectrum, just people on the autism spectrum to join these organizations and, and many organizations that partner with Otacon to expand the workforce with people who experience autism or are on the autism spectrum. And it's fascinating and, and really gratifying to see that happen. People with schizophrenia, there's some evidence that shows that part of the brain, the occipital lobe, which is responsible for visual processing, is more developed in, in people's schizophrenia and people who don't have it. So there are all these all these things, ways in which brains differ that can lead to symptoms of mental illness, but at the same time, give people strengths that others don't have. And I was very privileged to host Dr. Temple Grandin, who lives with the autism, as well as John Elder Robeson on a uh, webcast that I did uh, a few months ago on the beauty of neurodiversity. Just amazing to hear what they had to say about their experiences and the programs they know of to help expand acceptance and empowerment of people in neurodiverse conditions uh, throughout our throughout our world. Your knowledge and wisdom is just, I could listen to you all day long, and I just really <laughs> appreciate this. And um, I think we, we need to wrap this up, but I have one last question for you. And that is, what would be one thing that you could share with us if you could leave one memory for someone else to make a difference in their life? If you know somebody who's struggling with a serious mental health challenge and they're not behaving like they used to, and you worry about, would they ever be the same person you once knew and loved? They are still that person. There were times when, in my behavior, I was not very nice uh, to people who I love and even dangerous at times. I am so grateful that my friends, my family stuck with me through those, heart, those challenging times and had faith in me um, because now I feel whole again. And I, I feel like I, I can participate in the love of my family and, and the world around me again and help others with that love. And, and if you're experiencing something like this yourself and you feel like you're never going to be the person you once were, well, hang in there, buddy. There are plenty of horizons left to chase and plenty of amazing things you will do in your life if you just hang on and keep on striving through your own recovery. Brandon Staglin, thank you so much joining us from California, president of One Mind. We greatly appreciate your knowledge and expertise around this. Thank you, Brandon. It's just an honor and a privilege to call you a friend. I look forward to talking to you more soon. 
Bonnie and Aaron, thank you so much. It's been a privilege to be on your podcast and, and to, to stay with you and the wonderful work you do as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll chat soon. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bonnie. And remember, be the one who says, I understand, love heals. And to learn more, go to www.iunderstandloveheals.org. And let's take a moment to thank Mercantile Bank for allowing our podcast to happen at their locations. Thank you, Mercantile. And Kim Rontala. And Kim, thank you so much. New director of marketing at I Understand and pretty much the best producer ever. And to learn more about One Mind, go to www.onemind.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take a turtle, but gotta get going.